welcome to the Church Home Podcast. My name is David and I'm the CEO here at Church Home and I'm so glad that you joined us today. In just a moment, you're gonna hear an encouraging message from Judah around the person of Jesus and his love for you. And hey, if we can serve you in any way, please do not hesitate to reach out and chat with a pastor on our pastor chat tool, which you can find on our website or on the Church Home app. And if you've been impacted in any way by this message, we wanna invite you to join those who so generously give to tell the story of Jesus across this globe. Go ahead and visit us on churchhome.org give or text the word generosity to 97,000. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this message. But here's the question I want us to ask ourselves uh, this morning. Uh, what do I want? What do I want? Now, this is going to be a part two, but I'm going to do my best to kind of catch you up so that we're not kind of jumping in mid-episode or mid-movie, you know, where it's like, okay, what's going on? And if you ever, like, you know, jumped in about 30 minutes into a movie, you got to kind of whisper to your friend, okay, who's, who's the character? Okay, wait, what's, is that their horse? Okay, wait, who are we going after? Okay, okay, great, great. So let me catch you up um, in, in terms of what do you want, but, but I want us to consider the question first. What do you want? Now, what I'm asking you is not what do you think you want? What are you supposed to want? What does God say you should want? I'm asking you, and you don't have to answer out loud, which means you can answer honestly. What do you want? What do you want? And is God involved at all in what you want? Now, this might come as a surprise, particularly those of you that grew up in church like me, but I'm gonna go out on a limb here so everybody bear with me, but here's the reality. God, your heavenly father, wants to give you what you want. That's not a popular statement in Christianity. That's not a popular statement. And I'm not saying that I'm gonna write a book. God wants to give you what you want. No Christians would buy it. No, they wouldn't, they wouldn't. Because we've been taught for so long, you're supposed to let go of what you want and just trust God. So Christians sometimes are more confused than anybody else in the world. Because when you pray, have you ever prayed one of these prayers? God, I just want what you want. And I want what I want, but I don't want what I want. I want what you want. Show me what you want. Is what I want what you want? Because if what I want is what you want, then I want what you want because you have changed my want. That's all I want, God. All I want is you. That's my favorite one we do. God, all I want is you. I don't know if that's a song. I just wrote it. It's you, you, you. And you're trying to lease a car this afternoon. You know what I mean? Like, but all I want is you and that new Escalade <laughs> for a better price. Good luck. Cars are tough these days. But, right, we, so I know what we mean. You know what I mean. So let me clarify. When I say, what do you want? What I'm asking you is, what do you really want? Not what do you want right now? What do you want this weekend? What do your feelings tell you that you want? What does your brain tell you that you want? I mean, it's your core. What do you want? Here's my favorite, one of my favorite answers. Do you want, like, connection? And that might sound silly to you or arbitrary, but, but in fact, it's not. Connection. I think it's one of the primary reasons we exist. I think a lot of people act out uh, in their lifestyle, but what they're looking for is connection. I want to feel connected. I want to feel seen. I want to feel loved. I want to feel valued. I want to feel like I am significant and important because intuitively you know you are. 
So you're looking for somebody, some role, some stature, some social status that makes you feel connected. So I'm not so much asking you, do you want the new Escalade? Do you want more square footage in your condo, townhome, or home? I'm not necessarily asking you, do you want more sex, or do you want more power, or do you want more money? I'm asking you, why are you here? And what do you want? Why are you here, and what do you want? The answer could be, I want intimacy. I want fulfillment. Maybe some of you are here this morning, and your answer would be, I want peace. I just want peace that passes all understanding to guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Judah, I want that verse. I want peace. And if there's anybody here who doesn't have peace, you start to realize how invaluable peace is. So maybe that's your answer. I respect that. I want peace. We've all come here this morning, and hopefully you have prepared yourself for a message that points you to Jesus, because I assure you that will be my endeavor, and that will be my goal and I'll be here for 17 more years. Much has been made of whether or not I'm still here. I assure you, I am still here. I love the same woman. We're coming up on 23-year anniversary. We have children together that we love most days. I love my wife, and I love my kids most of the time. Did you catch that? I don't know if you caught that. Like, love my wife? Yeah, I love my kids, sure. They're great people. Um, Oh, I love them a lot. They're just all over the place. Oh, my word. Please don't tell my daughter, but 13-year-old teenager, daughter, is anyone praying for me in this church? Is a single person praying for me in this church? I could use your prayers. I fear I am raising myself. That's your greatest fear. You have a child that's like you, and you're like, don't, don't go down that road. It's a long, dark, sinister path. (laughs) And you'll be 43 with an anger problem, and it'll be embarrassing, right? Like, you're 13, but you'll be 43 before you know it. I'm not having a midlife crisis. Come on, I'm having a midlife reconsideration. (laughs) I'm going to be here for 17 more years, and then I'm going to Palm Springs. You all know my plan, and there I will have a glass of wine every night. And I will, um, I will hold my wife close. And that's what I'm going to do. But until then, I'm here. Okay, just so you know. And every time we get together, I want us to come around Jesus. I promise you, your flesh and your brain think that what you need from me or any other preacher or from Israel and the team is you need a cool thought, a great action step, or something to kind of employ through your energy that will transform you. But I'm here to tell you, you cannot change yourself. You won't change yourself. You can have momentary success, but I promise you, self-transformation is not sustainable throughout a lifetime. What you need is a God encounter, and what you need is to know God. And I say, if God is God, let God be God. If God is big enough to save the world, he's big enough to save you. If God is big enough to make oceans and hills and rivers and lakes, he is big enough to help you with your teenagers, big enough to help you through your divorce, big enough to help you through bankruptcy. I promise you the person of Jesus is who you need. And here's what's cool about when we get together. It is is not entirely clear when you're going to meet him, but somewhere within the next four and a half hours of this revival service, you are, come on, everybody relax. You might have a moment. It it might be at the weirdest time. 
It might be at the very end of the service, we've already dismissed, and you're walking out of the auditorium and someone says, hey, I don't know you, but I just felt to tell you, God is so in love with you and he's got something really, really special in store for you. And all of a sudden, you feel his love, you feel his nearness, you feel his affection. And it wasn't the preacher, it wasn't Israel Houghton, it was a friend in the row, right? So that's why we're here. We're here because One moment with Jesus can change everything. I mean everything. And and, and that's why I'm excited. And and make no mistake, don't let the preachers fool you. We preachers experience the same thing sometimes better than you. My sermons really minister to me. I want you to know that. You think I'm joking. The other day we're on the golf course and one of my buddies, they showed me something on social media. Uh, I'm not on social media, so I didn't see it. And it it was a clip of one of my sermons. And we're in, we're in the middle of the fairway, and he goes, watch this. And I'm watching it, and I go, and I start tearing up. I go, that is good. <laughs> I did. This really happened. I go, oh, my word. And he goes, isn't that good? I go, I needed that, bro. That was so good. And he's dying laughing. He's like, it's you. And I'm like, it's the Lord. But anyways, um, we're all in this together, okay? So the next few moments isn't like, uh, I hope you learn what I have learned. It's like, no, we're all here hoping that the center of the universe is amongst us and he's doing the work that only he can do. And it happens in different forms. Now, if you grew up in church like me, you had to fall over to really meet God. I got good news. You don't have to fall over. In the church I grew up in, you had to stand and the only, only the people that met God stood like this in worship. You know what I mean? You had to run to the altar and that's how God would meet you. And I think all those things are wonderful. And sometimes that seems to help people. Closing their eyes helps them to focus on Jesus. All of that's wonderful. Raising hands is in the Bible. On your knees is in the Bible. Running for God is in the chariots of fire. There's tons of awesome stuff that we've learned, right? So, but I think the point is we're just, we're just here for Jesus. And guess, what, guess what's awesome about Jesus? You don't earn, deserve, warrant, like... If you're here thinking, I'm going to pursue God today, I got better news. Um, He's going to pursue you. You, We're going to have to need Jesus to just come after us today, okay? So now that we've established that, it's so good to see you. Um, What do you want? Have you thought about it yet? Have you been thinking about it in my opening preliminary comments? Um, What do you want? And do you have what you want? Is it connection with God? Is that what you're after? So something tells me, because of your sheer physical attendance, that somewhere in the room, probably if we were going to synthesize everybody's want, what do you want? I bet we can ballpark it somewhere around like connection with God. It's probably why you're here. And I'd like to show you in scripture today, part two is about the litmus test, how to know if you're really connecting with God. If you're like me, I'm an emotional nightmare. I am an emotional roller coaster. Okay, being married to me is literally like Mr. Toad's wild ride. Okay, please pray for Chelsea every single day because depending on the lighting or um, a number of things, my emotions can change. It's manic. Okay, it's not, I'm, I need a lot of help. So Chelsea's like, hey, how's today? And I'm like, I feel sad. You know, I feel thrilled. God is with us. You know, so. I know what that's like, but sometimes I wonder, like, am I okay? Sometimes I don't know, like, am I doing okay? And I want to give you a litmus test today. I do. I want to give you a way to know how connected you are to God. Because I think in Galatians chapter 5, 
it gives us that. Now, as we approach Galatians chapter 5, uh, some of you are already there because you're brilliant Bible scholars, and you know that Galatians chapter 5 is what we call the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. There are seven what we used to call fruits of the Spirit, and I want to show you, and some of you already know where I'm going. It's never plural. There are no fruits of the Spirit. That is a misnomer. That's not true. That's not what's in the Bible. There are not seven fruits of the Spirit. There is one fruit of the Spirit. And this is, these are some of the traditions that we are beholden to that are misleading us, and it's frustrating our relationship with God, and it's also frustrating the process because we think there are seven fruits to memorize because our Sunday school teacher taught us that. Okay, babe, okay, girls and boys, we're all crisscross applesauce on our carpet square, and the, 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 the school teacher, excuse me, the Sunday school teacher is like, what are the fruits of the Spirit? And we're like, kindness, gentleness, self-control, good job, Billy. Okay, who else? else. Okay. Hey, Amanda. Okay, Mandy, go ahead. Um, self-control, kindness, gentleness, you know, and I know them all. I just don't want to say them all to you guys right now. But the point is, (laughs) the goal isn't um, that, you know, the seven fruits. That's not it. It is the fruit of the spirit. One singular. Now it is juxtaposed with the works, plural, the works of the flesh, versus the one fruit of the Spirit. Now, I want you to let that sink in for me because that's going to be important going forward in your relationship with God. Anytime you want to make lists and do self-improvement, and self-care is important, but you want to do self-improvement, self-salvation, self-preservation, self-growth, all the stuff that's motivated in ego and self, we call that the works of the flesh. Now, a lot of us think works of the flesh, idolatry, adultery, immorality. But the works of the flesh can also be attempting to do what is spiritual through physical, tangible means, which will not produce the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But we persist. We persist. We teach sermons about the works of the flesh. Now, let's read this passage together before we get any further, because you have a decision to make. Are you going to be a works person Or are you going to be a fruit person? Are you going to be a works believer, which, by the way, God still loves you and you're trying your best and he thinks you're cute and adorable, but man, you're really frustrating the process. Or are you going to be a fruit Christian? One is singular, the other is plural. Keep that in mind because one is going to require an enormous amount of memory, capacity, attentiveness, discipline, and focus. The other is going to require you surrendering everything. And you choose. One, you will attend to one connection. The other, you will have to commit to a list of things not to do. You choose. This is how we raise children. A lot of us believe we're to raise children by telling them what not to do. And yet science in and of itself has told us that when you focus on what not to do, you are more likely to do the very thing you have become obsessed with not doing. That's why the son who swears he'll never be like the father nine out of ten times becomes just like his dad. Because the human condition has proven now that if you obsess over, I will never be like my dad. You have become, now you've become far more likely to become like your dad. So the power is actually not there. The Bible says the power of sin is the, the law. 
The power, sin grows in strength and power in your life when you focus on lists of what not to do. That's the law. So when you focus on, here's what I'm not going to do, what does Paul say? What I say I'm not going to do, I end up doing. What I say I'm going to do, I don't end up doing. Who can deliver me from this bondage, this dead-end alley that I'm living on? Who can deliver me? And of course, that is a question that the whole of the book should answer. There is only one who can deliver you, Paul. There's only one who can deliver the great apostle. There's only one who can deliver you from this fleshly predicament. There's only one who can deliver you from this dead alley living, this dead end alley living, and his name is Jesus. And he is the fulfillment of the law. He is the pinnacle of the human experience. And he has no intention of you living the rest of your days myopically obsessed with the things you won't do. I don't drink, I don't chew, I don't smoke, or go with the girls who do. These are Christian cliches popularized in our culture to the point that Saturday Night Live does skits about this stuff. They are so prevalent which is to say, in this country particularly, Christians are far more known for what we don't do than what we do. Why is that? Because we would far rather get lists of things not to do, and I'm going to tell you why, and you're not going to like it, but I love you, and I'm happy. It's a wonderful sunny day in Seattle, so don't think I'm upset at you. I love you so much to tell you the truth. You know why you keep wanting me to tell you the three things you need to do for a powerful prayer life? Because your brain and your body likes that. Because you feel more powerful and you feel more in control. <laughs> so like, um, if you want to write a best-selling Christian book these days, you need to tell everybody what to do. Don't tell everybody to trust Jesus. No one likes that. That's not clear enough. That's not practical enough. The biggest critique I have amongst evangelicals, Judy, you're not practical enough. My brothers and sisters, there is a part of this that just isn't practical. It's called spiritual. It's called mystical. And his ways are not our ways. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. And I think God thinks your job is adorable at best. And same with me. Same with me. I love this about preaching because people are like, Pastor, if we didn't have you, I don't know what we would do. Oh, you would just find another pastor. Everybody relax. Can you stop? I love you guys so much, but you're like, you, if it wasn't for you, I'd still be on drugs. And I'm like, no, it wasn't me. God would have used an animal. He would have used, but preachers like me, we think we're so important. Do you know, see, I'm up here doing what you do every week, and that is I'm partnering with God, and that's what's most important about what I'm doing. God made me for partnership. And he thinks it's super cute when I preach, but it's like not all totally right. And I don't really see him fully and understand him. But God's in the room right now and he's going, Judah, you, you're adorable, bro. This is hilarious. Okay, that joke was too far. Don't do that. Okay, okay, okay. Right, and we're just partnering. And that's what God wants to do with you. 
He wants to part, partner with you as a barista, wants to partner with you as a school teacher, wants to partner with you as a stay-at-home parent, wants to, part, by the way, we, we've never needed more partnership with God than stay-at-home parents. Stay-at-home parents, you're the heroes. The rest of us had to go get a job because we couldn't make it at home, okay? So I'm like, I'm like just let's both get jobs and then pray for our kids. You know, like, it's a joke, and God probably was grieved with that one, but... My point is stay-at-home parents, you're my heroes. You, God wants to partner with you at home, with your babies. And we all, all, always think that the priority is what we're partnering with God on. Though the priority is that you're partnering with God. That's all. He's just like, let's do that together. Make a caramel macchiato for people together. Yeah, let's talk about the caramel. <laughs> I love you so much. All right. We are so busy down here trying to impress God with our morality, our faithfulness, all of which is so important. But the focus can't be the list. The focus has to be him. It has to be him. It has to be him. So let me read Galatians chapter five. We're going to read it in the Passion Translation. It's so good. Okay, listen to this. As you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you abandon the cravings of your self-life. Now, I love the language here, self-life. We're trying to live past the self-life. If you don't know what the self-life is, you've been alive for six and a half months. For the rest of us, you know what the self-life is. It's when you drive, you make decisions. You're the captain of the ship. You're the commander of your own destiny. And you are disciplined and focused and faithful and resolute and convicted. And you feel like everyone else should be like you. And if they're not, they're less of a Christian. The self-life. He goes on, for your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit and hinder him from living free within you. Hinder him from living free within you. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your old self-life from dominating you. Isn't that interesting? So there's these cravings in you. Call it what it is. There's cravings in you. So then the two are incompatible and conflicting forces within you are your self-life of the flesh and the new creation life of the spirit. You got to see, guys, do we have Galatians 5.17 like in uh, the New Living Translation or uh, English Standard Version, ESV, if we do, because I would love to read this to you because it speaks to this idea of what you really want. Galatians 5. Oh, you, you did it. You did it. You did it. You did it. I love you guys. I can't see you, but I love you. Okay. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out what you want to do. So you're not free to carry out what you want to do. I, I, I want to be a, a peaceful husband. I want to be a kind coworker. I want to be a consistent, trustworthy person. Isn't it crazy? The older you get, you're like, I think one of the big goals is like someone that somebody can trust in. That'd be a nice. What do you want? I want to be trustworthy. The caveat is the more you focus on being trustworthy, the more unsustainable it becomes. The idea here is we're going to have to yield and surrender to the Holy Spirit who will produce in us, a spirit-led life more than a self-led life. The sinful nature 
wants to do evil. I'm going to read this to you again, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants, and the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. Can we go back to the Passion Translation? And we're going to keep reading in verse 18. But when you are brought into the full freedom of the Spirit of grace, what's, what's the Spirit called? The Spirit of, the Spirit of, Spirit of grace. Grace. Unwarranted. Unmerited. Unearned. Undeserved. Spirit of grace. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of your hard work. It's not the fruit of your church attendance. It's not the fruit of your Bible reading or Bible memorization. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit produces the fruit, the Spirit is the goal. The Spirit is the focus. The Spirit is the one. The Spirit, it's, this is about the Spirit. So this Galatians 5 is about the Spirit. It's about the Spirit. It's about the Spirit of God. It's about the Spirit of Jesus. We're here about the Spirit. We're here about the spirit form of God. The spirit form of God is upon us and amongst us, and it's about him. It's actually not about us. It's about him, and we want the fruit that only he can produce. I'm going to say it again. We want the fruit that only he can produce. That's why it's called the fruit of the spirit. It's not called the fruit of man. It's not called the fruit of church. It's not called the fruit of deeds. It's called the fruit of the spirit. And that spirit is alive and amongst us today, and he wants to produce this one fruit in your life. This one fruit in your life. And here's the fruit. You no longer live under the domination of the law, but soaring above it. Verse 19, the craves of the self-life are obvious. Prepare yourself for the most negative list you have ever heard in church. Sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography. By the way, none of those things have ever applied to me. Chasing after things instead of God. Manipulating others. I'm not manipulative at all. You're manipulative. Wait. All right. Hatred of those who get in your way. This is the worst list ever. Senseless arguments. Never. <laughs> Resentment when others are favored. Never. Temper tantrums. In what world? Angry quarrels. <laughs> Shut up. Only thinking of yourself. I never struggle with that one. I bet you do, but I don't. I never do. I'm doing so good. Wait, what are you doing right now? All right. Being in love with your own opinions. What? Not in America. We don't have like two major networks that are in love with their own opinions that are dividing our country as we speak. What? No. That's not true of our country. Which side are you on? CNN or Fox? I mean, Seahawks or Falcons? Sorry, I had a, that was a skip in the CD. My apologies if that applied too closely. All right. Um, being envious of the blessings of others. So far, this list really applies. But this is where it gets good. Murder. I'm good. <laughs> I love you guys, man. Good to see you. See you at the 30th. You know, like, <laughs> I finally find one that doesn't apply. And I'm like, yeah, murder's not my thing. <laughs> Uncontrolled addictions. Not too bad. Wild parties, never. I'm a man of God. And all, I love this part, and all other similar behavior. I don't know if that was necessary. I think we covered pretty much all of it. All other similar behavior? That literally covers everything. Right? Haven't I already warned you that those who use their freedom for these things will not be a part of the realm of the kingdom? 
Which, by the way, if you're in a kingdom and you're outside the realm, you know what it means, right? It means you're on your own. It means if you get in a wild party and things go sideways, the king and all of his mighty men are not coming to save you. You're on your own. Sometimes we read this and we're like, now that's what young people need to know. If they keep partying, they will never be saved. Uh, That's not what it means. It means that if you perpetually plan to do all of these things, you're on your own. You're not in the kingdom realm. And if things go sideways, you might have to deal with it on your own. By the grace of God, he's there. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. But it's like, man, you made a decision that's like, that's, be careful, don't, you don't want to, Right, that's really what it's saying. And then it says, we never needed this list quicker, okay? The fruit, singular. So it's a fruit produced not by you, the fake Holy Spirit, but by the real Holy Spirit. Within you is divine love. Oh, wait, what? Yeah, so um, uh, the one fruit is, um, is agape. Huh. So next time someone's like, do you know the fruits of the Spirit? You can be like, well, I know the fruit of the Spirit. It's love. Now, I'm being cheeky and silly, and we're having a good time, right? But, like, do you, I don't know if, like, if you, if you ask someone who's not a Christian in this country and said, hey, Christian, what comes to mind? Can I do a quick little test with you? Christian, go. What comes to mind? I sometimes I wonder if it would always be love. Love. You guys are the best. You guys love everyone. You're so super loving. I don't know if that would be the characteristic that we would get. Opinionated. Picketing might be one of our words, you know, whatever. Like we we the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions. So here's some of the ways agape expresses itself. Joy that overflows. Joy that just bubbles up. Joy that's just like, oh, I love this park so much. Oh, I love sunny days in Seattle. Oh, what a great day. Look how aggressive these varied expressions of love are. Peace that subdues. That's talking about peace that works when you shouldn't have peace. You know where this comes from, right? And I don't have time to preach all the varied expressions. And I'm just reminding myself, you haven't even got to part two. So we're almost there. Bear with me. Peace that subdues is a peace that passes understanding, that guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So all that language means you're going to be going through hell and you're going to be full of peace. (laughs) And everyone's going to be like, are you okay? And you're going to be like, I don't think so, but I got to tell you something. I am so at peace. And they're going to be like, bro, be real. And you're like, I I don't know what to tell you. I don't know where it came from, but I have a settledness, a contentment, a trust, a confidence, an expectation that God is going to work this out. We were supposed to be known for that. Peace that subdues us in the middle of upheaval and turmoil. How about this? Patience that lasts a long time. (laughs) This isn't the litmus test, but this is a good one. I love, are you like me? On really easy days, I'm so proud of my patience. No, I'm serious. 
I am very quickly proud of myself. I must admit that. I think it's because my dad raised me. Judah, everyone likes you. Everyone wants to hear what you have to say. I'm so proud of you. That was every day of my life, right? And some of you are like, oh, that explains a lot about this guy. Um, but it's true. And, and, and my dad was a constant source of affirmation, confidence, and encouragement. And so I can get really proud of myself real, real fast. And one of the ways I get proud of myself is like on a really calm, collected day where my kids look like they actually are like really solid people and my marriage looks great and my friends are happy. I'm like, I am just so patient. Like, I don't care. They have to redo, you know, my oat milk cappuccino. Not a problem. That's not a problem for me right now. Yeah, make three more. Oh, here, just give them to the person who's here next to me at the barista table. Hey, man, just have it, bro. I'm a believer. You know, like, it's just everything, just one of those days where you're just like, I've done it. I am now a lot like Jesus. It's scary to me. Bless you. So good to see you. Praying for you. Right, but, but patience that lasts is like on the really ugly days. You have an ability to be patient. Ah, oh, that's not nearly as fun to talk about because those days are few and far between for me. When I'm stressed, when I'm annoyed, when I'm frustrated, when I'm angry, the last thing I am is patient, right? Everything must be faster, everything. Now, I must admit, Living part-time in Los Angeles and part-time in Seattle has been exhilarating. But I must admit, I drive like I was born and raised in LA now. I do, I do. I'm not going to lie to you. I use my horn as a way to say, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> and my kids just laugh. I'm like, ah, it's not offensive. Don't worry about it. I'm like, oh, well, we're driving by. They look offended. Never mind. All right. I'm a horn honker now. I'm a man of God and I'm a horn honker. That's not supposed to go together. Ah, come on, get out of the way. Eh, eh, it's LA! You know, do that in Kirkland. Hey, Pastor, was that you working at me? Nah, bro, nah, it was my friend, my buddy. Kindness in action. A life full of virtue. Faith that prevails. I like this one. Gentleness of heart. Strength of spirit. Listen to this. Never set the law above these qualities, for they are meant to be limitless. Which is to say, this, you, this is way past the law. I don't know why I'm going to use this, but this is an interesting observation, and it might really make your friends feel uncomfortable. But there's this teaching called the tithe. And really, it's an invitation in the New Testament. Uh, uh, Matthew 23, 23. Jesus said, yes, you should tithe, but don't neglect the weightier matters of the law. So tithing is an interesting thing because people are always like, I don't believe in tithing. I can give what I want. But everyone who doesn't believe in tithing never gives 10% to their nonprofit or to their church. But see, eventually you experience the grace of God and you realize that 100% of the money you have is a direct result of God's mercy, grace, and goodness towards you because frankly, you should be broke and so should I. So what ends up happening in a believer's life is you become so in love with Jesus, you're like, I have got, you start to plan generosity as much as you plan getaways and vacations. And a lot of people think it's because you want to get something big from God or you want God to bless your business. I'm here to tell you, it's because you just love Jesus. And what it means is tithing is not supposed to be set up again. It's not supposed to be connected to the law. It's supposed to be a heart posture that happens because you're in love. 
What ends up happening is we take faith that prevails. Don't, for, don't turn faith that prevails into a law element that you have to fulfill. That's not how it works. That's why it says never, never make these like the law. Don't put, the, the, they exceed the law. And I like to say, I left giving 10% to this church years ago. And you might find that to be somewhat arrogant, but I'm telling you, I, I give generously to this church. I want you to know that. And the reason I do that is not so that God generously gives to me because he already generously gave to me. It's because I'm a grace guy. And grace invites you into this limitless life that says, I'm going to give more money away than I should. And then I'm going to see what happens. (laughs) And you know what my primary motivation, other than love for Jesus, is that I don't want money to dominate my emotions. And it tries to. So I give it away. And the more I give it away, I'm like, free. (laughs) I won't work for you. I won't serve you. I won't worship you. I won't idolize you. You are not my source. God is my source. And my checkings and savings account are not my security. God is. That's limitless living. Okay? Because now it's not law living. A lot of people want tithes to be like a law. You should give 10%. I'm never going to tell you you should give 10%. That's not, that's not my job. My job is to say, God so loved the world, he gave. God's a giver. Let that sink in. And the more you know the giver, you'll start giving. I don't even mean to this church. To whatever church, organization, nonprofit God puts in your heart, give. Give. Let it flow. Live the limitless life. Stop counting dimes and dollars. You say, Judah, what are you talking about? Listen to me. I, I, I make more money than I used to when we got married, but when we got married, I promise you every single dollar, okay? When Chelsea's dad, when I asked to marry his daughter, he did the budget and he said, you are $400 in the hole every week and you want to marry my daughter? And I was like, can you talk to my mom about this? <laughs> That's what I said. All right, that backfired. I thought that story was more impressive, but that's what I said. Well, my mom hired me as janitor, so could you talk to my mom about that? You know. So yeah, like my parents weren't going to let me, you know, starve, and and we lived 0.7 miles from them. That's a whole story I don't want to get into right now. A lot of early fights on in our marriage about that. But Chelsea and I decided to do this. I just, I honestly, I honestly mean this. I, I got, I, I, I really got excited about never being about money. It became fun to me. And, and, and that's part, and I don't know who I'm talking to. And I never really talked like this. So somebody must need this today. And it's going to be one of those things that later Israel's going to be leading worship. And I'm going to be on the front row leading worship, but also being like, why did I talk about tithing? That was weird. But it's because God's trying to talk to somebody, and I'm not sure why. I was going to say that's not in my notes, but let's be honest. I haven't had notes in years. So giving generously is a, is a fruit of the Spirit, I think. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It, it's, it, it comes with all of these, and it's never be to set up. It's not a law thing. Um, Let's just keep reading. Okay, we'll keep reading, and there's more to say. Keep in mind that those who belong to Jesus, the anointed one, have already experienced crucifixion. So much more to say there. They've already experienced crucifixion. Ah, 
for everything connected with our self-life was put to death on the cross and crucified with Messiah. Can you go back to this verse? I'm gonna, I gotta put this in better terms. Not better terms, but the, all these translations are trying to do, do work on the original language. Um, already experienced crucifixion. Here's what that really actually means. Your ego has been surrendered. Which is to say, the decisions you make for your lifestyle every day shouldn't be centered on what's going to make me look better or feel better or be better than them or be cooler. But the decisions I now make in my life are not ego-driven, but they're, they're, they're grace-driven. So now God says, move. And you say, okay. <laughs> and, and your friends are like, where are you going? And you're like, Nashville with everybody else. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It's like, if one more person tells me they're moving to Nashville, I'm gonna scream. Okay, so, you know, but, and maybe your friends are like, that's crazy. And you're like, yeah, but I'm just following Jesus. And um, I think sometimes following Jesus doesn't always work well for your ego. Wait, what are you doing? Ah, oh, pulling the kids out of school and we're gonna go trust God in Cambodia. <laughs> what? Yeah. And I'm not saying you got to go to Cambodia. Some of you just got to go to a new cul-de-sac. God's just like, I want you to move down the street. And you're like, but this house is great. We love all that. But God's like, no, I want you to move down the street. And so when it says you've been crucified, what it means is it's no longer just, just what, what, what you prefer, but it's this, it's this setting aside and we're going to get to, to what you want. For everything connected with our self-lives, we'll put a death on the cross and crucified with Messiah. That's really strong language. Verse 25, we must live in the Holy Spirit. We follow after him. What am I supposed to do with that verse? If you're a preacher and you can't preach Galatians 5.25, you got to get a new line of work. We must live in the Holy Spirit and follow after him. We must live in the Holy Spirit. We must live in the Holy Spirit and follow after him. Ooh, there's somebody in this room today. I can feel it in my soul. You're supposed to be following after Jesus. And you have been following convenience and comfortability. And you know, and I know suddenly in this room, God has been beckoning you out of the boat onto the water, but you keep talking yourself out of it. You are supposed to live in the Holy Spirit and follow after him. What I love about Galatians 5.25, and I promise I got to keep moving. Galatians 5.25 is that you follow what you're already in. You follow what you're already in. So that's when all of a sudden the life of Jesus becomes one of these like, yep, we're just, we're going over here. Talk, talk soon. All right, we're going over here. And that's why Paul says, I was compelled by the Spirit. If you look at the word compelled that Paul describes on some of his missionary works, by the way, Paul went places you shouldn't go. Paul took transportation you shouldn't take, and it didn't work out well. Planes crashed, if you will. Boats crashed. Uh, right? and, and, but what was he doing? He said, I was, I was, the Holy Spirit just kept kind of dragging me around. The Holy Spirit just started kind of showing me. I'm not, I'm not promoting a, 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 a life that kids can't feel like dad's leading, mom's leading. I'm not, I'm, not, not, not I'm, but I'm not talking about a manic life, but I'm talking about a life following Jesus. Please do not settle for following a preacher when you can follow Jesus. 
Don't settle for following my vision for church home when you can follow your vision for your life from Jesus. Come on now. I will never be the preacher in your life talking about you need to stay here. If God says go, you got to go. I'll see you in heaven. We're good. I love you. Go. Go into all the world and tell everybody who this Jesus is. We're going to live in the Holy Spirit and follow after him. And it feels like you're being dragged sometimes. I'm serious. Somebody recently told me, said, man, your courage, man, step out and do this vision. And I'm thinking, I don't know when I got courage. I don't know when I thought this through. That wasn't really the plan. It was just today I feel like I'm supposed to say this. Today God's saying this, and we're just going to keep moving here, and we're going to keep going there, and we're going to keep trusting God. And then years later, somebody's like, bro, crazy decisions you made, big courage. And you're like, I don't remember making a crazy decision. I don't remember having big courage. I don't remember stepping out really big. I just remember living with him and being dragged to new spaces and places and then trying to make sense of it. How'd you get here? Ha! I don't know. Israel and I have been friends for 27 years. A lot has happened in our life in 27 years. We first did Warm Beach Camp and Conference Center. Anybody know Warm Beach Camp and Conference Center? I was the preacher. Israel was the worship leader. He was 25. I was 18 or 19. And we're up at Warm Beach. And we stayed up all night one night drinking root beer, talking about what God could do with our lives. 27 years later, not too far from Warm Beach, here we are. And I don't know how it all happened. God's here and he just keeps guiding me. Man, I'm talking to somebody today. This is not the sermon going on to verse 26. And here I'm coming to a close. So we may never be arrogant or look down on one another. For each of us is an original. We must forsake all jealousy that diminishes the value of others. Okay. Let me say two or three more things and then we'll be done and Israel will fix us all with his melodies. Here's the challenge, and here's what we're facing, okay? So, this is what Galatians 5 teaches. It teaches this posture that basically is like you sit down. Mary Martha, remember that? Mary Martha, right? Mary's sitting, listening to Jesus. Martha's in the kitchen doing great things for God. Martha says, tell Mary to come do great things for God. And God's like, you think I want you to do great things? I just want to connect with you. I just want to talk to you. You think I need you to do great things? I breathe stars, guys. I go, and universes exist. There's a, there's a sea. Someone just saw a 50-foot shark the other day. Like, did you see that in the ocean? 50-foot shark. And I think God's like, oh, you guys think 50-foot is crazy? I breathe leviathans into the deep and the abyss. We know less about the ocean than space, friends. We are fickle and funny creatures. We think we got it all figured out and we have nothing figured out. God says, I just want you to sit and be with me, the most compelling person in the universe. And we are busy doing things for this great grand God. And he's like, I want you to let go, surrender, trust me, and partner with me. When we make it about lists, we make it about ego, 
Here's the problem. There's two extremes I see plaguing believers today. Forgive me for speaking directly to believers if you're here considering a relationship with Jesus. I hope this gives you some insight. There are two extremes I'm very concerned about, and I talk more about this in part one. It's going to air on the app, and you can pick it up, and then we'll be done. And here's the two extremes. The one extreme is what I call defeatism. And what defeatism is, it's when you try to do the fruits of the Spirit. It's funny because you take the same mentality as the works of the flesh and you try to apply it to the fruits of the spirit. And yet they are to be approached and are approached completely different. One is ego driven. One is discipline driven. One is self driven. One is self motivated. This is oftentimes what athletes use to excel. Last night I did a chapel for our football team and I reminded them that following Jesus is nothing like football. Jesus is not a football coach. I told all these young men who've made it to the NFL, I said, you're elite and you have earned this. And if you don't keep earning it, there's a backup waiting to take your job. That's not how the kingdom works. There's no practice squad in heaven waiting for you to not excel so they can take your role in the kingdom. You're the only one like you. You're a son, not a teammate. You're a daughter, not a roommate. You're a child, not an employee. You're a part of a family, but we take our American Western mentality, which our exceedingly excelling athletes use, and we think, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better. I'm going to focus. In fact, I hope the preacher today tells me seven things I can work on so that somebody on the practice squad doesn't take my position in the kingdom. Because if I don't do it, God will get somebody else. Where'd you get that thought? Was that in the Bible? Or is that, oh, that's from the sports we're going to watch today. All of these men and women, they earned this role. And if they don't keep excelling, they lose their job. They lose their role. And we think the same way with God. And God keeps trying to tell us, you're my child. I, I don't need you as a child. I, I made you to be with you. I made you to be with you. Chelsea and I had babies because I wanted to be with them. But, but let me be very clear about these children. I had babies. This might not be a great metaphor or parallel to scripture, but bear with me because I must tell you, I had babies for they too someday shall have babies. And those grandchildren is what I'm living for. Because I discovered something at 43 when my babies have babies, I don't have to raise them. I just get to hold them and kiss them and spend money on them and then give them back. Worse than the way I got them. <laughs> and so my future is bright. <laughs> That's why I had kids. I had kids to be with them. I had kids to be with them. Happiest moments of my life right now. Dinner time, living room, couch, watching a game, talking to my 18-year-old, talking to my 15-year-old. I just want to be with them. I don't, I know all the dumb stuff they've done. Well, the stuff they've told me. But the point is, 
If you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask? Which is to say, if you earthly mothers and fathers think you understand intimacy, love, connection, adoration, obsession for your children, how much more? You know what your heavenly father wants? Not your performance, not your morality, not your excellence, not your tithe, not your income, not your talent, not your gift. He thinks all of those things are cute at best. You know what he wants? You. So we persist. God, I'm going to give you all, I'm going to do all these things. And we fail and we suffer in defeatism. And then give us two good weeks of doing everything in the list. And we go from defeatism to elitism. And this is right about, cue the conversation about standing for righteousness in a country. Be careful. Because the thing you stand for, you don't always do. But we persist. We got to change this generation. They're on drugs. They're doing terrible things. America needs to... One of the lists of the works of the flesh was in love with your own opinion. Be careful now because you've given yourself away. You must have had a, a good run in your morality lately because your tone of voice is kind of giving it away, isn't it? Now, you say, Judah, how do you know about defeatism and elitism? Because I've been in both categories longer than I'd like to admit. And what God wants is not someone attending to lists which produce defeatism or elitism, but he wants a son and a daughter to surrender. All right, you got me, man. You got me. You know, the guy who's defeated half the time and is elited the other half of the time. You got me. That's what I want. And I think sometimes we gotta, we think we've got to surrender to God and, and, and talk. But I don't know what to say to God sometimes, especially these days. So I'm just like, here I am. So I got 20 minutes on this drive, God. What do you want to talk about? I need you. God, I need you so bad. I'm so angry. I'm so frustrated. Tell you the truth, God, I'm in this car by myself, so I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm really mad at you. I'm so mad at you. But we don't tell Christians to do this. And I love this because we're so concerned that... Um, God's going to be like, did you just say you're mad at me? I'm shocked. Here's the good news about God. Shocked is not one of the things that happens to him. He's never shocked. Because he already knows better than you know yourself. When have you come before him? And just surrender. Simple surrender. 
And I end with this. That's not the most positive, but I'm going to end here. Look what it says in the last verse. I think it's verse 25, guys, or 26. Isn't this interesting? In this whole passage, here's the conclusion of what we now call Galatians chapter 5. Look at this. In fact, let's go to verse 25 just so I can read it in context. We must live in the Holy Spirit and follow after him. So we're not arrogant or look down on other people. For each of us is an original. What? You're an original. Nobody's coming to take your position. Nobody's coming to take your place. You're an original. You're an original. We got to forsake. That language in the Greek is wild, guys. We got to forsake. Let go and move away. Let go and move, forsake. Let go, move away. Let go, move away. Don't live around it. Forsake a jealousy. If I could give America anything right now, I'd give them Galatians 5.26, particularly the Christian Americans. We got to let go and move away from jealousy that diminishes the value of others. Judah, how do I know that the fruit of the Spirit is in my life? Please do your own research. Do your own study. I end today with a submission that I believe is an accurate interpretation of Galatians 5. We're not playing games here. I've been your preacher for 13 years. I'm going to do my best to do right by the Scripture here. The climactic conclusion to whether or not you are a fruit person or a works person is what? Pride? Look down on other people? The Bible says that's how you know. You're vacillating between defeatism and elitism. You're vacillating between I'm better than others and I'm worse than others. But this was all about you and God. And when you posture yourself here, there's no more room for arrogance and, and jealousy and comparison and, and making others small so you feel bigger. That's what racism is. That's what prejudice is. It's a spirit that tells you or me that for some reason that we choose that we're better than others. And I think God is beckoning his kids to come back to the table they didn't earn. Mephibosheth! If you know your Bible, you know. If you don't, you just think I said the weirdest name you've ever heard. Broken. Back at the table. Man, when you sit at this table, I promise I'm done. I promise I'm done. But it's one service, guys. What do you expect? I come back to his table and you can't see 
Mephibosheth sat at King David's table. He was restored as a king because he was a rejected king because he was, I'm sorry, a rejected son because he was deformed and he was dropped and he didn't have legs that worked. And so the kingdom had rejected him so that he wasn't an embarrassment to the royal family. And David found out that there's a boy that's crippled, but he belongs to the king. And David said, you go get him and you bring him to my table and you sit him at my table because that's my son. And that's the picture of the church. We are Mephibosheth. And we are just as broken as anybody else. But King Jesus keeps saying, you come sit at my table. But we've sat at this table and we have pretended that our weakness, because we can't see it anymore either, that somehow we are better than other people. And I can't help it because Galatians is kind of like, and this is part two, how do you know if you are a fruit person or a works person. And I got to be honest with you, man. I read this by myself and I thought, oh God, have mercy. It's tough, man, to find a day in my life where I don't find some human that encourages me because they're so bad. That's how I feel. I don't watch the news very much but enough sports center to see enough humans to go, oh my gosh, what in the world? God says, um, those are my kids, man. You're making fun of my kids. You're making light of my children. Well, God, they don't go to our church though. I don't even know if they're born again believers. those are my kids. And there's something happening to our church. And there's something happening, I believe, to the church. We got to get back to the fruit. Just the fruit. Not the fruits, the fruit. And it's love. <sighs> Jesus tells a parable. I'm done. This is 10 seconds. He says to the man, he says about a king that forgave a man's great debt. And it says the day that that man's debt was relieved and he was released, he found a man in the street that owed him pennies on the dollar. And he said, you give me my money. Right after he had just been forgiven a debt that would have had him in prison his whole life to the king until he repaid it, he is absolved from the debt and goes straight to the streets to hold another man's feet to the fire. And Jesus says, it ought not to be amongst you. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Freely you have received forgiveness and mercy and grace in abundance. Now, freely give it to the world around you. Who drew these arbitrary lines between humans? Who said that you are not them and you are not they and they are not you? We are all God's children and we're here at the same time. And God beckons us to a life of love. More than a life of morality. More than a life of discipline. More than a life of respectability. More than a life that makes sense and people understand it on a spreadsheet. God called us to a wild adventure of following him and loving everyone in front of us. Don't you complicate what God has simplified. Follow Jesus, church.
and they'll know we're Christians by our love. No wonder they don't know we're Christians by our love. By our love. Oh, my heart is full. And when Israel's here, I feel like preaching two hours, but I just did one, and that's enough. My heart is full today, church, because I believe God's heart is full towards you. He's not mad at you. Please hear my passion today. It's love and passionate pursuit of what Jesus desires. You're free. You hear me? You're free. You're free. Whom the sun sets free is free. So what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? I believe God's going to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask, think, or even imagine. God's going to give you a depth of connection, a depth of intimacy, a depth of meaning and purpose. You're going to feel loved. You're going to feel seen. You're going to feel encouraged. You're going to feel valued. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, I'm telling you, God has not brought you this far to take you back again. God did not bring you into 2022 because he has plans to dismiss you or plans to somehow shame you or embarrass you. I'm here to tell you, God called you into 2022 because you're going to go from grace to grace. You're going to go from strength to strength. You're going to go from glory to glory. God's going to take what he meant, what the enemy meant for evil, and he's going to work it together for your good. He is a good heavenly father. God is not mad at you. God is not upset at you. God is beckoning you onward. Let's get on with it. I'm in love with you. I got plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. Come on, this is only just beginning. This is only just beginning. There's more ahead. Lift up your eyes from whence comes your help. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Oh God, you are my God. Early shall I seek you. I have come to your house to see your glory and your goodness and your mercy exceeds me every day. New as the morning sunrise. Woo! This is life and death, man. This is life and death. You hear me? This is the realest thing on the planet. There is nothing else that matters more than you and your God experiencing his love and experiencing his forgiveness. Woo! One service, so I made it like three. Ah, I feel that. Okay. All right, let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, 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 Jesus. I sent you in this room, man. I sent you in this room. And we love you because you first loved us. And you will do exceedingly abundantly above. All we want, ask, think, or even imagine. You are beautiful beyond description. Too marvelous for words. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. If you're here just with every head bowed and every eye closed, man, God's talking to some people. And I know this sounds uh, maybe a little bit strange, but um, God is asking some people to keep moving and to keep walking and to keep trusting and to keep going. His love is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. His love is enough. It's time to move. It's time to walk. It's time to go. It's time to trust. It's time to uh, launch out into the deep. It's time to get out of the boat. God is talking to some people in this room. I'm telling you, he's talking, and it's got to do with your kids and and your family and and, and your neighbors. And Oh, God, thank you. If you're here and you'd like to receive Jesus 
and you would like to receive the free forgiveness of sin and wrong and error that only Jesus provides, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. You, you don't earn it or deserve it or warrant it. You just receive it. You just believe it. You just accept it. If you'd like to accept this free forgiveness that only Jesus offers, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand and put it right back down. And I assure you, friend, in one moment of receptivity, all your error, your wrong, your sin, your shame, your penalty, all of that will be absolved and forgiven forever. And you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. This is called the news that is so good. This is the gospel that can change the world. There is a God and he's in love with his children and he's in love with humanity and he's in love with you. If you'd like to receive this love and allow your life to be transformed forever, welcome to the greatest adventure you could ever imagine. If you want that adventure and you want that forgiveness and you want that relationship with God, I want you to shoot your hand up all over the room and say, that's me. That's me, man. Pray for me. 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 Include me in that prayer. Preacher God, you see every hand. Oh, and more importantly, you see every heart, and we thank you that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. We are forgiven. We are loved. We are absolved. We are covered. Oh, thanks be to God who leads me into triumph. Oh, you're faithful and you're true. God, encourage your people tonight. Encourage your people today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.